Praise the Lord and welcome to session eight of the discussion of apostolic church structure for end time revival and harvest or the revelation of the care ministry if you prefer. In session, in session seven, we, uh, we really talked about the church ministry or the care ministry in history, in the history of the church and we went through that, looked at that and, uh, and saw that not only is the the revelation of the care ministry or home ministry or small group ministry or whatever you want to call it, it not only is it in the scripture but it's also been used by the church in various times and various places in the last 500 years of church history uh, to great success and yet here we are today especially in America uh, North America where we are using uh, a, a traditional church structure now in order for a pastor to decide whether or not he's going to allow his church to take on this church structure and to help the people understand, uh, we want to talk in this session about what the role of the pastor is in the care ministry. What, what's the role of the pastor in regards to the care ministry? Uh, and I, I think, uh, Pastor, that... Uh, this is something that wouldn't be harmful for your leaders or your people to hear. But uh, hopefully, Pastor, you have listened to this session first before showing it to decide whether or not that's the case. Because we are not teaching any of this for the purpose of causing any kind of problem or division between the shepherd and his sheep. That is not our motive. It's not our goal. And so please, we ask you to use this wisely according to your situation there so that we what we're doing is helpful and not harmful that is our desire that truly is our desire okay the role of the pastor in the care ministry uh, let's look at the pastor's position or or ministry in scripture the primary job of a pastor is to feed the sheep with wisdom and knowledge Jeremiah 3:15 and I will give you pastors according to mine heart which shall feed you with knowledge and understanding. That's the will of God. Paul declared that pastors must give an account of their sheep to God in Hebrews 13, 17. Obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls as they that must give account, that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. I will repeat something I've said in earlier uh, situations that uh, the word translated pastor is found 23 times in the King James New Testament. In the Greek that the, the King James New Testament was translated from. However, only one time out of those 23 was it actually translated using the word pastor. The other 22 times that word is found in the Greek text, it is translated in the King James as shepherd so immediately we have some idea of what a pastor's role is what his ministry is what the concept of his ministry is supposed to be the pastor or shepherd uh, the pastor of the people the shepherd of the flock is exactly the same context so a it's important for pastors to not lose sight of what your true purpose is in the church so here's some of the things that uh, a pastor is supposed to be, you know, 
some pastors are so reluctant to do uh, the, the, the care ministry or, or small group ministry because they think it's diminishing who they are. It's, uh, they're, they're, they're losing control. They're giving up who they are. And their ministry is somehow less important. Not true at all. You can't have a body that functions without a head. There has to be a head. And we know this about a body. All the air that comes into the body doesn't come directly in the lungs without coming first through the head. Uh, all the food that provides the fuel for the body doesn't come directly into the stomach. It comes first through the head. Everything I hear comes into my head first. Everything that I see comes into my head first. Everything that I smell comes into my head first. So the head is extremely important for the function of the body. But the head is not the body. And the head cannot replace the body. And the head cannot replace the purpose and the function of a body. The body needs the head. The head needs the body. Without the, with either one of those missing, they're not complete. I'm not trying to be facetious in the obviousness of it, but I'm just trying to get you to think about that. They're not the same. Now, God created the body to heal itself. There's obviously things that the body does that the head cannot do. In fact, most of the function of the person, the being, is the body doing the stuff that comes from the brain and the direction it gives it. But the body is the doing. Head is the direction. Body is the doing. The head is not the doing. Again, I know this is simplistic, but looking at the fact that that's what the Bible teaches, and yet how we interpret that and apply that in our local churches, traditionally that's not the case. That's not how we operate. That's not how we operate. The Lord says the pastor is to be the leader. The shepherd leads his flock. The sheep don't lead the shepherd. The shepherd doesn't drive the flock unless they're goats. But if you've got sheep, you lead the sheep. The shepherd is out front of the flock. And the sheep follow the shepherd. In Matthew... 25 verses 31 through 46 and this is a long reading but I will read it the Lord's not looking for goats he's looking for sheep when the son of man shall come in his glory and all the holy angels with him then shall he sit upon the throne of his glory and before him shall be gathered all nations and he shall separate them one from another as a shepherd divided his sheep from the goats and he shall set the sheep on his right hand but the goats on the left then, then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, Come ye blessed of my father, and inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungered, and ye gave me meat. I was thirsty, and ye gave me drink. I was a stranger, and ye took me in. Naked, and ye clothed me. I was sick, and ye visited me. I was in prison, and ye came unto me. Then shall the, the righteous answer him, saying, Lord, when shall we saw thee, and hungered, and fed thee, and thirsty, and gave thee a drink? When saw we thee, a stranger, took thee in, or naked, and clothed thee? When saw we thee, sick? are in prison, and came unto thee. And the king shall answer and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, Inasmuch as ye have done it unto one of the least of these, my brethren, ye have done it unto me. Then shall he say unto them on the left hand, the goats, Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was at hungered, and ye gave me no meat. I was thirsty, and ye gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and ye took me not in. Naked, and ye, ye clothed me not. Sick, and in prison, and ye visited me not. 
Then shall they all also answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we thee in hunger or thirst or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister unto thee? Then shall he answer them, saying, Verily I say unto you, Inasmuch as ye did it not unto the, uh, to, not to one of the least of these, ye did it not to me. And these shall go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous shall uh, righteous into eternal life. Now, pastor, and anyone else that's listening to this session, uh, notice a pastor leads a flock of sheep. You, you, you lead sheep, you herd goats. So he's talking about dividing the sheep from the goats. And then he told what the sheep did that made them sheep, that distinguished them as sheep. And look at the ministry they were involved in, in giving natural and spiritual meat to the hungry, in giving natural and spiritual drink to the thirsty, in, in welcoming a stranger into their midst, providing the welcome. The, she, the shepherd didn't provide the welcome. The sheep provided the welcome, the stranger, into the midst. In clothing both the spiritually and naturally hungry. In, 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 in visiting and ministering both to the natural and spiritually sick. And in ministering to and visiting the, those that are naturally and spiritually in prison. That's not the ministry of the shepherd. That's not the ministry of the shepherd. That was the ministry of the, of the sheep that were separated from the goats because the sheep is the one that did that ministry and the goats is the one that didn't do that ministry. That was what divided them into two groups. That's what determined who was sheep. That's what determined who was goats. I didn't write this. This is book. I didn't write this. That's hard to take. But I didn't write it. And not only did he divide the two, he welcomed the sheep into eternal life, and he said the goats were going into everlasting damnation. Based on the fact the sheep did the ministry that the sheep were expected to do. And that the goats proved they were goats because they didn't do the ministry that the sheep did. Now, might as well get you a pen knife or something. Cut that out of the Bible. Because in traditional church structure, that's not preached, that's not practiced, and I don't believe it's believed. Because in my lifetime in Pentecost, from the day I was born, the first Sunday of my life, most of the guys that preached to me, I was raised in a Navy family and we lived all over the country, and I went to, to United Pentecostal Churches north, south, east, west, and in the middle. And almost all of those guys basically preached, you, if you repent of your sins, get baptized, you stay filled with the Holy Ghost, believe in the oneness of God, live a separated life, pay your tithes, give any offerings, come to church faithfully, and you don't cause any trouble, you're saved. Well, somebody needs to tell the judge in Matthew 25 that. Because he had expectations of sheep completely different than that. 
So, shepherd, are your people goats that have to be driven to do the basics? Or are you, or, or are you providing leadership to your sheep to be involved in their ministry? And I want to say this again to any sheep that are listening to this message or watching this message. I want you to note very carefully in those scriptures. He wasn't separating shepherds of sheep from shepherd or, or from herders of goats. One shepherd, wasn't separating shepherds of sheep from herders of goats. He was shepherd, separating sheep from goats. One was involved in ministry. One was not involved in ministry. Now, shepherd, if you're not training, teaching, leading, structuring your church, believing that, preaching that, then you're partly responsible for them being goats, not sheep. That's strong, isn't it? And to some, it's probably offensive. But I'm in good company because the one that spoke those things is Jesus, and I'm not trying to be facetious or unkind. But they're not my words. And the question is, what are you and I going to do about this? What are we going to do about this? What are we going to do? The scripture says that the the pastor or the shepherd who leads well is worthy of double honor. To lead means to be out front showing the way to go. If sheep get ahead of the shepherd, they get lost. Jethro told Moses that he was show the people, he was to show the people where they must walk and the work that they must do. That's Exodus 18:20. That was Moses, Moses spent 40 years as a shepherd. He trained to be the king in Pharaoh's house. And then God spent 40 years washing all that out of him and taught him how to lead his people by teaching him how to be a shepherd. And then the next great leader in the Old Testament was also trained to be a shepherd. His name was David. And while Jesus was called a carpenter, he was also called the great shepherd of the sheep. So that's what a shepherd is supposed to do. He's supposed to lead his flock. He is not the flock. He doesn't birth the babies of the flock. He doesn't conceive or beget the the lambs. But he leads his people to be be sheep. The pastor is to be an equipper. Again, the five-fold ministry, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. Paul said that those five-fold ministries were intended to fully equip the saints that they might do the work of their ministry. You might want to read uh, Ephesians 4, 11, and 12 in the Amplified and see how it says it specifically. That the fivefold ministry is for the full equipping of the saints. So they may do the work of their ministry so the church can grow thereby. The Greek word katartis is translated perfect uh, for the perfecting of the saints or the full equipping of the saints. It means literally the consummate artistry, the epitome of skill. So a pastor should, this should be the goal of every pastor's ministry, to fully equip the saints to being able to minister to people's needs with the epitome of skill. In other words, when it comes to ministry, 
not preaching from a pulpit, but your abilities, your developed abilities to minister to people. You should be wanting to become everything you can be so you could put all of that into the people so they can become everything that God wants them to be. That's the goal. That's the purpose. That's the job of the pastor is to be an equipper. The primary reason that saints fail in ministry is that they are not equipped to do what they've been asked to do. You can't give somebody a job to do something that they've never been taught how to do and then trained in doing. After I got out of the Naval Academy, I went to flight training. Before we ever got near an airplane, we spent a couple of months in ground school. And in ground school, they taught us all the theory, as well as all the other stuff we had to do, uh, practice survival training and uh, practice getting out of of the cockpit of an airplane that's been dumped in the water upside down, all that kind of stuff. But we... We went to class. We learned aerodynamics. We, we were taught all that kind of stuff. We had never even sat in an airplane yet. That was the teaching. And then when we passed the, the ground school courses, then they took us out to the airfield, signed us an instructor, an instructor and an airplane. And we got in this airplane. And the, little, the original trainer, the uh, T-34 mentor, that, which was and still is pretty basic, the military flight training is a two-seater and the student sits in front and the pilot the, the teacher pilot sits in back and both of them have a stick not a wheel in that airplane and they, both of them have a stick and the and the man in the back lets the student handle the plane handle the stick the rudders the controllers all of that the throttle all of that until there's a problem and then he takes it over he's in the back training He's talking to you in the headphones all the time. Do this, do this. No, up, up a little bit, down. Get up, get on, you know. And he was constantly giving you instructions and critiquing what you're doing, encouraging you, complimenting what you're doing well. And, and that was the training. And after seven, six flights with an instructor, on the seventh flight, you soloed. He stayed on the ground. He monitored, he talked to you from the ground. He monitored what you were doing, but you were solo. And you came back, and you sat down and talked with him about all of that, and that's how it went. And that, that was train, uh, teaching and training. We don't do very much of any of that in the church of the living God today. We have church. People are expected to sit, be on time, sit, listen, respond, and, 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 and do right. We're expecting them to do right. Where, where is this in the body of Christ today? Jesus trained and then trusted those he chose for ministry. He also provided the oversight necessary to protect them. And he did the correcting and the instructing after they went out to make sure that they were doing it correctly. That's what a pastor's called to do. The pastor's also called to be a preparer. Jesus saw his purpose as preparing the disciples to carry on after he was gone. He poured himself into them. Then he showed them how to minister. He let them ask questions. He then sent them out to minister. And then he corrected them when they erred. And then when the day of Pentecost was fully come, 
they were fully equipped. When the day of Pentecost, because of his method, when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were fully equipped. The time and energy Jesus invested in his disciples demonstrated his faith that outpouring was coming. Everything he did was preparing for that day. He kept telling them all through this process, I'm going to go away and you're going to be left with it. I'm going away. I'm going away. I'm going to die. There's going to be a day. there, There will be a day. There will be a day. There's coming a day. And that wasn't rhetorical. And that wasn't false hope. He knew there was coming a day. He had confidence that day was coming. And he, was, he knew that he was specifically and purposely preparing them for that day. What good is a great outpouring if no one is equipped to care for the new converts? Our faith ought to propel us into action. And that action ought to be preparation. The only thing limiting the size of our church is the lack of preparation which is caused by our limited faith. That's what's holding the church back. It's not that we don't pray enough. It's not that we don't fast enough. It's not that we don't come to church enough. It's that we're not preparing for what's coming. Where's our faith at? The pastor is called to be a trainer of saints. I've already covered some of this. All of this kind of overlaps, so it's hard not to repeat yourself a little bit. And the essence of teaching is repetition, so forgive me for this repetition. Training involves experience and instruction. In college, especially in like engineering classes or other type classes like that, computer science or whatever, most of those classes have a a lab. Physics, chemistry, electrical engineering, fluid dynamics, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. All those classes had a lab. In college, they were four-credit courses, but it wasn't four hours. It was three one-hour classes, and then there was a two- to three-hour lab. Why? Because they would teach you the theory in class, but then they knew for you to get the theory, the concepts, you had to be in a situation where you could practice and experience what you'd just been taught. This is Jesus's method method any kind of training local church bible school or whatever that teaches concepts but doesn't have organized application of those concepts for experience purpose is failing in its mission any 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 concept of training any venue for training that does not provide also some means of application, supervised application that's observed by the trainer to help correct, instruct, perfect, fully equip, is failing in its purpose. Information alone can't do it. You can't teach somebody to fly an airplane in a classroom. What you teach in the classroom is important, but until you put them in the seat, that it doesn't come together for them until you put the stick in their hand, until they're riding down the runway and have to pull that stick back and watch that nose uh, lift up and raise up and, the, and feel the wheels let go of the earth. It's coming. You haven't experienced it. It's just information in the classroom. But when you put the experience with it, now things start coming together. Now they start making sense. It's exactly like that in the body of Christ. Of course, this is where the principle originated, with God. 
is what parents are supposed to do. Teach and train. Teach and train. That's why it says train up a child in the way it should go. Because teaching a child is not enough. There's got to be situations where that child is given an opportunity to experience stuff and whatever. You can't teach a child to drive a car. I've got a granddaughter that's about ready to start trying to get her license, her driver's license. She can sit through all kind of driver's ed classes she wants. She's not going to, have to learn how to drive a car until she takes that train and puts it in the driver's seat and she puts her hands on the wheel. That's the only way she's going to learn to drive a car. It takes training, teaching, and training. Teaching and training. The pastor is to be a trainer of saints. Training involves experience and instruction. Experience is a product of time and opportunity. It can take a long time for someone to acquire experience. However, by instruction, the impartation of that which is learned by experience by the instructor can be controlled by the instructor and put into that person. Teaching transfers the experiential knowledge of the instructor to the student. If the teacher only has head knowledge of what he's teaching, he may communicate information, but there's a missing element to his instruction. Because I learned something by experience, that becomes a part of my life. Then as the instructor, I take all that I've learned by experience and I put it into the foundation of my student. And then I oversee that student being trained in that information. They experience it and I coach them through it. But then that becomes foundational information for them so that they, they then take my foundational experience, my life experience, it becomes their foundational experience, and then they go from there in their own experiences so the body of Christ is constantly growing. We're constantly learning more. Someone asked me years ago as my son started in the ministry, what are you going to do if your sons outdo you, outshine you? And I said, I'm going to feel like I was very successful because the stuff I've taught them wasn't taught me. I had to learn it all by experience. I had to dig it out of the book for myself. I had to go through all kind of trial and error and, and mostly error of efforts trying to learn how to do things and how to, how to understand certain things from God because I wasn't taught those things. And I have taught those things over and over and over again and I've put them in situations where they could practice those things and I've critiqued that and instructed that and gone from there. And all of that's in their core. They know stuff now at their ages that I didn't come close to knowing at those same ages. So now everything they learn from this point out is stuff I don't know because I haven't had the chance to learn that because I spent all my time learning that stuff I put into them. That's what a shepherd's supposed to do. It's fully equipped. And the saints will learn stuff that... Uh, the instructor didn't know that Jesus walked on the water. He multiplied loaves and fishes. But when did he ever take parts of his clothing and send them out and that be laid on a sick person and them get healed? Or when did his very shadow passing down a street heal the people that were laying in the street because he was passing that way? He never did those things. Peter and Paul did. 
Did that make them greater than Jesus? Of course not. It just proves that the, the, all the foundational stuff from Jesus' learning that he put into their lives became their foundation, and they moved on to some other things. Jesus preached only to Jews, primarily. I say only primarily. He preached primarily to Jews. And he said that his whole focus was the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And yet Paul's ministry moved into a dimension Jesus never gave himself to. Paul became a minister to the Gentiles. He moved in a completely different dimension than Jesus had. Was he greater than Jesus? Of course not. It just proves that he took the foundational stuff that was put in him and he moved on into another dimension. This is what a pastor is supposed to do. The student does not have to spend their time learning by experience that which the instructor is willing to impart by training. Time is saved by teaching and training. Life is saved by teaching and training. That means the stuff that I wasn't able to do until I was 40 or 50 or 60, that there are people who are 15 and 20 and 25 and 30 can do those things. Well, aren't they too young? The only reason I couldn't do it is I didn't know it. I didn't understand it. But training enabled that to be the case. That's what a pastor is supposed to do. Paul instructed Timothy, and hear this please. Paul instructed Timothy to impart what he learned to people who would be faithful in imparting it to others. 2 Timothy 2.2 And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. Timothy was Paul's Timothy. But Paul is telling Timothy, you need to go find yourself some Timothys. I wonder, I wonder, after Joshua was a Joshua to Moses, I wonder why Joshua never had a Joshua. I wonder if the reason why that within a generation after Joshua died, the people knew not the Lord. It's because Joshua did not do what Moses did. Paul seems to have understood this because he made it very clear to Timothy, I've taken all this that I've learned by pain and suffering and teaching and experience in my life, and I've put this into you, Timothy. Now, here's what I'm expecting you to do, Timothy. I'm expecting you to put that into others, but not just anybody. I'm expecting you to put that into others that will put that into others. Four different levels of of changing training there. Four different levels of it. Paul, Timothy, Timothy's Timothy, and Timothy's Timothy's Timothy. So that it gets passed on. This is God's concept. But I know, I know, I've known ministers in my life, they keep all that they know close to their vest because that belongs to them and that makes them who they are. And if I teach you how to do this and you can do it, then the people won't need me anymore. Wrong. That's not wrong. That's wrong. That's not right. Because if I keep learning and growing and if I keep learning and growing, I'm never going to become obsolete. 
I may get promoted so other people can move up into the spots that I had, and then I can get promoted again, and people can, uh, everybody can move up. Because every time the pastor grows in God, he provides room for everybody below him to move up. But if the pastor's stagnant, the pastor's not growing, the pastor doesn't, is not, doesn't have new stuff to impart, then there's a cap on everybody. For instruction to be effective, it must be accompanied by the opportunity to experiment by doing what has been taught. Jesus allowed his disciples to minister what he observed. The care ministry provides an opportunity for the saints to be put in to put into practice what they've been taught. They have an opportunity to put it into practice. People need to put this into practice. It's not going to become theirs. We call our care elders what we call them care care elders they supervise and monitor ministry of the saints and guide them as they experiment in new spiritual areas we have oversight who oversees the overseer the pastor or in my case now it's called a bishop i'm no longer the senior pastor of antioch i am the overseer of that overseer and he oversees these folks and they oversee others and so there's always oversight Oversight is covering. Oversight is covering. Being covered, ministry having a covering is essential for protection. Ministry having a covering is critical. Ministry needs to be unencumbered, but it does not need to be uncovered. People need to be taught, trained, and given the liberty to go and minister they need to be unencumbered they don't need to be held in check and and suppressed and not allowed to participate but they also do not need to go into any ministry without being covered they need to be covered being covered by authority apostolic authority is not encumbering someone it is covering them it's protecting them it's there for their benefit I've said this many times in my ministry. It's one thing for God to save you. It's another thing for God to use you. But the most difficult thing God does is to save a person after he's mightily used them. And in in my lifetime, in my 66 plus years sitting here today, the great ministries that I've seen that were powerful but ended up shipwrecked were ministries that were uncovered whether it's in the pulpit or in the church. The moment somebody moves out from underneath the covering, I don't care what they accomplish, they are not going to be able to stay saved. They can't. Because that covering of authority is protection. It's for protection. God's put that there for our protection. Pastor, You've been given authority by God. It's not your authority. It's His authority, but He's delegated to you. And you need to delegate that authority to trained people that are being overseen and covered by apostolic authority so that they can do their ministry. And if they do what they're supposed to do, then they'll be teaching and training. Let's go back just one moment here to the concept of the shepherd and the sheep. For people, mature people to grow, they have to have meat. 
You can't live off milk. You've got to have meat. Well, what if you got a mixed body of people sitting out there you're preaching to? you got some mature people that need meat. you got some brand new people that need milk. And you got saints or sinners that just need the, the, new, the, the, the good news preached to them. How do you do all that in one service? Well, you can't. So the shepherd cares for the flock, leads the flock where it's supposed to be, and makes sure that the mature get the meat, the meat excuse me, that they need. Then, then, what does that mean? The mother eats the food, and she takes out of that food the nourishment she needs. And then her body is designed to break down that, that strong meat, that solid food. And after she's taken out the nourishment her body needs, it then converts all that's left into a very gentle but highly nourishing substance we call milk. And that's what the newborn gets. If you try to feed steak to a newborn, you're killing that newborn. If you try to feed milk in the pulpit because you got newborn sitting there and you don't have any mothers to take that in and break it down and feed them on their level, then the, the mature starve to death because they can't live off milk. You can't accomplish all of this in a church service. There has to be different ministries all intending to have a different goal, a different purpose, a different level of ministry. I don't make a good home Bible study teacher because I'm sitting there talking to somebody and I see interest in their eyes and I feel hunger in their spirit and I want to give them everything I know on a subject. It's too much. It's too much. I, when I've tried to teach home Bible studies, I have a hard time taking a 12-week Bible study and teaching it less than 35, 40 weeks or so. That's not a positive thing. It's too much. We think our saints don't know enough. Oh, they know plenty. Because the, the level they will teach those new converts and those sinners on in that home Bible study, it's what that person needs. Not all that deep stuff we want to preach on Sunday morning or Sunday night or whenever it may be. Do we need to preach that stuff? Absolutely we need to do. Especially in our non-crowd service. Here at Antioch, Sunday morning is our crowd service. That's the service we preach to. We're preaching good news to the lost. We're trying to see people saved. In our Sunday night service, that's not our crowd service. We're not looking for all those people to come Sunday night. We're looking in that service to give meat to people, to preach to them, to, to teach them, to correct, instruct, to guide, to inspire, to cast vision. We're trying to give them uh, uh, much deeper, much more understanding, something that will strengthen them and help them. And then our, in our weekday service, and we just happen to have our weekday service on Monday because our Sunday morning groups do care groups through all, the, all during the week from Tuesday through Saturday. That's when they do care groups because on that level, we're, t we're taking care of babies and new converts and, and even visitors in, in a much more uh, less structured and more personal way. And it's much more simple food being fed there. But in our Monday night service, 
That's when we do our deepest teaching and most intense training. That's where we're trying to take committed people and make them into disciples. They taught and trained one who is ready to be used of God. We don't try to do the same thing two or three services every week. We want those services to be different. That's the key is for them to be different. We're trying to accomplish something different in all, in all of those. It's a different menu for the meal in each one of those settings. And, of course, the fifth thing is the home Bible study, which is one-on-one or one person with a family or whatever most of the time. All of those are different levels. There are other different kinds of training we do. Timothy classes for those who may feel called to preach. We do uh, Bible with a Bishop, which is my time uh, once a month to teach the depth of stuff that God is giving me for the entire for, for for all of those that are involved in leadership or want to be involved in leadership, but but all of those different they're different and the type of ministry is different and the goal is different because that's how you have a balanced meal and that's how you take care of babies, sinners and babies and at the yet time, same time you try to make sure that the mature people are fed and directed and helped et cetera et cetera. A well-trained, fully equipped ministry of saints produces growing, flourishing, stable, mature churches. In 2003, February, in fact, on my birthday, there was a huge snowstorm that had come in that weekend. And on Monday morning, my, the day of my birthday, I get a call at 8 o'clock in the morning. I need to get up to the property. The buildings collapse in the snow. We made our way to the building and found that our building had collapsed. Our auditorium was gone. Our church offices were all gone. The side of the building where the school was was still there, but it was severely damaged. And in that situation, if our church had been a single pulpit, single voice church, all built around a facility, we would have lost that church. We would have lost that group of people. But they'd been taught. They'd been trained. And they were actively involved in ministry. Many, many different places on Sunday morning. And on and, and, and all through the week we had ministry going. Care groups and other things. So that the only service that had to really be adjusted was Sunday night. And we went seven years in a school auditorium before we were able to get some kind of facility finished and moved back in here. The county wasn't very cooperative. During that period of time, our church tripled. Our Sunday morning attendance tripled without a building. Why? Because all this other stuff had provided a a stability to this body that one man and his personality could not have provided. Couldn't provide it. A, church, a facility-focused ministry could not have held that group together. There was a group in our district, church in our district, fine man, good group of people, but they were a facility-focused church. That's what the man understood. Like me, he'd been raised in this. That's all he knew, and that's what he was doing. And when that building burned over the course of the next year or so before they could ever get something put back together again, and it's not easy in this area we live in. He lost almost all of his people because he couldn't hold them together. 
because he didn't have a facility. He wasn't able to have regular church services. Am I smarter than him? Am I a better preacher than him? Am I more better equipped to do all of this than him? No, no. The difference was the structure. The difference was the structure. I encourage you today, pastor, leaders, saints that are listening to this message. Encourage your pastor. Tell him you want him to provide this kind of leadership and that you're committed to him, that he can trust you, that you want to be trained and you want to be involved in the ministry. You want to see the church grow. Tell him that. Ensure, assure him that you're with him and that wherever God is leading, you want to see your church become an apostolic church and you want him to become everything God wants him to be in leading your life and in the body of believers you're a part of. Again, I've said this several times in these sessions. I know this stuff is very strong and it's pretty difficult to hear, but I pray that the, the, the Spirit of the Lord, by His grace, will give you the empowerment and the ability to receive this, believe this, and act upon this for the sake of your body, the body you're a part of, and also for the kingdom of God. May all the glory belong to the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. God bless you.